Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. My name is Jeanette Abney, and I want to thank you for joining me here for another episode here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. I'm trying to eat, drink coffee, do all this stuff all at the same time, but we go let it do what it do. So I want to first thank my Heavenly Father for blessing me, waking me up this morning, and giving me the activities on my limbs. I also want to thank those that I reached out to, and hopefully they're going to be obedient as it relates to this topic. Now, today's topic is an interesting topic because we're going to be talking about unnecessary gun violence. Now, we talk about gun violence. Gun violence is now becoming an epidemic. Every day in America, an individual is affected by gun violence. So some individuals will say, well, it don't happen to me. It don't happen in my neighborhood. It is. Now, time and time again, many individuals are becoming heartbroken by the news of mass shootings, violence in the workplace, drive-bys, and even violence between family members. Now, in 2021, they have indicated and I was watching, listening to CBS this morning, and they were saying that the United, America is the deadliest year for 2021 than it's been in over two decades. And that is crazy. So I'm going to be first, and I'm my first caller that is on hold. Let me log them on so we can talk about this show in regards to we all can play a part. Good afternoon. This is Jeanette. Welcome to Purchase Predicaments. How are you doing? Just fine. Okay. And what is your, I don't know who who it is because I can't see names. I just see phone numbers. Oliver. Oh, Oliver, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you. And I know you are an educator and you are taking time out of your busy schedule. And I appreciate you coming on to help with this topic. Because we talk about unnecessary gun violence, and we all can play a part. And, you know, and it's interesting because I'm finding that many individuals feel threatened, afraid to speak up against violence. When we start talking about, you know, what is some of the contributors or the factors, we know mental health, sometimes drug and alcohol, gang affiliation has also been played a, a factor. But we need to put an end to this. Now, what is your thoughts in regards to unnecessary gun violence? Well, Jeanette, uh, number one, um, it's not an epidemic. It's been it's been there since the founding of this country. America right. is based upon gun violence. You're right. And when you look at it, it has grown over the years. Uh, all of these factors or circumstances that you talk about have been have been around for a number of years. When I went to Inglewood in 1991, uh, I had 50 killings in the city and 50, 55 killings, and three-fourths of those killings were uh, gang shootings by drive-bys. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you drive by a location and you pray and spray. And so when you continue to look at what goes on in this country and the continual drive to, by some segments of this country, even at the U.S. Supreme Court with Justice uh, Clarence Thomas wanting to open up the discussion more on the Second Amendment because, see, gun uh, usage in this country is embedded in the Second Amendment and mm-hmm. it's more in this area of individual rights rather than uh, group rights. Mm-hmm. So it's been around and it's growing and it's not going to, uh, you know, decrease in any particular manner. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the sad part about that is you're absolutely right when it comes to that. And people are compensating off of that. And then, you know, some individuals say, well, I don't want to give up my constitutional rights. I want to. And then they say some states where people bear arms, there's less crime. But the sad part about it is innocent people are now being hurt. Now, let me log on to the next caller and see who this person is. Hi, this is Jeanette. Welcome to Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. How are you doing? Number ended in 6-4. Oh, oh, how are you doing? This is Aaron Harvey. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? I want to thank you for joining in on the show, too. And I know, because you've done a show with me before, and you have a testimony. And I know you shared something recently. I think you just got a degree or something. Tell the listeners who you are and your input in regards to unnecessary gang violence, I mean, gun violence. Uh, yeah, so I just graduated from the uh, University of California, Berkeley, uh, with a degree in political science. So after, uh, yeah, I uh, got on this journey in about 2015, 14. I'm listening. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was wrongly... Uh, Arrested, convicted of crimes I didn't commit. Eventually, my case was overturned. Sent me on a, a, a pretty much like an activist journey. Now on my way to law school. Uh, that's 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 all in in, in about thirty seconds. When it comes to the topic of unnecessary gun violence, uh, now I just got on to just listen to. I, I don't necessarily. Uh, when I hear un- un- unnecessary gun violence, I don't. Hello. I just want to hear a little more about you know well, what is necessary and what is unnecessary. Or what, so. That's a valid point. That is a valid point. And I know Oliver Thompson can help. It's Thompson, correct, Oliver? Because I didn't remember, yeah. but I know. Okay, I know he can speak on that too because we start talking about what's necessary and what's unnecessary. Now I'm gonna say this: when the incident that happened in New York. When these two young kids were walking down the street, I guess, going to the, the, the store, the corner store, and they get caught up in a, a person that's running, trying to apparently shoot somebody else, and then they had indicated, and I was doing some, looking up some information, where this particular shooter had already prior in regards to gun violence, attempted murder, stuff like that. That's unnecessary. You know, when you're talking about protecting your home, protecting your family, or somebody breaking in your home, or try, and you're trying to protect yourself, that's a whole different issue. When you're talking about driving on the freeway and somebody get mad and you, they break out in road rage and they pull out a gun and shoot you, that's not necessary. And, I mean, just Saturday I was on the um, 5 freeway heading from Oceanside to Garden Grove, and the speed limit is 65. I'm doing 70, 75. I guess I wasn't driving fast enough. So a person pulled over to my um on my driver's side, blew the horn, and started like flipping me off. And I'm like, really? How fast am I supposed to go? See, so these things become unnecessary. And part of it is, and I've been changing the attitudes of individuals. Now I grew up in Compton, California. And growing up in Compton, I experienced, I've seen a lot of gun violence. It happened in my family. My my grandmother had two sons before the age of 25 that were murdered. You know, my father, and, and I didn't even think about this when I was doing the show, 
until later on. Just in 2017, my father was murdered by a guy that he knew that shot and killed him. I'm like, that kind of stuff is unnecessary. Dr. Oliver, what do you think about that? Yeah, but see, when you say necessary versus unnecessary, necessary is dealing in the area of self-defense. And when we Mm -hmm. continue to understand that this whole issue comes down to the actors, and and you'd be surprised the number of African-Americans and people of color who are finding themselves in this current environment that they must arm themselves, open carry, concealed carry, et cetera, and all of that. And so when you have that, all of those dynamics that are working, uh, you'll end up, let's say, with a Trayvon Martin down in Florida with George Zimmerman. Stand your uh-huh. ground. So all of these kind of areas, including students on a college campus, UC Berkeley is not immune. Uh, Cal State community colleges uh-huh. are not immune from students carrying weapons while they are trying to protect themselves in public areas. Correct. You know, because you got people where you can you you know, individuals, our citizens are afraid to go to stores, malls, movie theaters, work. That is true. Even when I come out from you know, on whatever I do go outside and have to be in the community, I'm cautious, like, you know what, what if somebody coming here? What am I gonna do? How am I gonna if I'm with my grandkids, how, you know, it, how am I gonna protect our lives and the lives of other individuals? So it does become a big controversy, but when we start talking about individuals, like you said, um, pray and spray, you know, you just putting a hit on somebody's house, or you just, no, no. And then when these individuals do get arrested and go to jail, their family be, oh, well, they were such a good person, or they were such a good, and I mean, everybody's lives are important, but we are seeing this all over the world. People should not have to go to a club and be scared to come out the club because somebody's shooting up the club. It's a, a yeah. cowardly act, and it's dangerous, and something definitely needs to be done, even in our own homes. And I've heard they say guns don't kill people, people kill people. I get that. But what can we do as a society? You know, And, and I'm not saying that gun owners are irresponsible. I'm not seeing that because we do have responsible gun owners, but by that same token, and even when we talk about gangs and where do we meet in the middle to where innocent kids are not getting caught up where they sit in the back of their car seat getting hit in the back of the head with a bullet? Uh, but we're so far beyond the payoff on this discussion. We're so bitterly divided. This is one of those issues that mm-hmm. there is not going to be collaboration or compromise. Mm. It's not going to happen. Because, see, you're getting more and more people who have a desire to carry a weapon. When mm-hmm. I leave my residence because of my past employment in Riverside Sheriff and Inglewood Police Department, I never leave my residence without a weapon. Never. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. I end up going down to the college campus in my classroom, I am going to be armed to protect my students. So it comes down to what a person believes and how are they uh, going to reasonably carry out their responsibility in the carrying of that weapon. And more and more people are desiring, because law enforcement, it takes too long for them to get there, 
yeah. 11 to 14 minutes in a part one crime to say, wait a minute, in that period of time, I would rather to be tried by 12 than buried be by 12. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. You know, and it's interesting you said that, but see, but I hear what you're saying. You're trained in law enforcement. You're retired cop. You're on a college campus. I get that. I'm a business owner. I still have property and go to Compton. My grandson, I'll never forget, a couple of months ago, he wanted to go for a walk. He was like, Granny, can we go for a walk? I said, no, it's dark, and I don't have my gun with me. He's looking at me like, mm-hmm. what you about? <laughs> I'm thinking, I left my gun at home. I ain't got my gun with me. You know, so I'm not going to be a hypocrite. But by that same token, I'm not going to just be going around just shooting up folks because I'm mad or I got an attitude about something. No, no. But if somebody come in my home or you, no, you don't want to go there with me. I am so not the one. But by that same token, I'm not trying to hurt nobody because I'm not trying to be looking at no football numbers either. So, yeah, but see, that's know, already law in California. What do you mean by that? Uh, uh, if a person forcefully enters your residence with intent to cause you great bodily injury or imminent death, you can kill them. Mm-hmm. Penal code 198.5. Mm-hmm. I get yeah. And a lot of times individuals don't realize that. And even with self-defense, sometimes people take that to a whole other level. Self-defense don't yeah. mean I got to go back to your house and blow your house up because you and I got into a dispute five or six hours ago. Now that's premeditation. So a lot of times we become our own vigilantes and in many cases take the law into our own hands. Or years ago when I was younger, they would get kids and teenagers to do the crime for individuals because they were getting less time. And then they started charging um, teenagers as an adult, depending on the crime they committed. And then we come up with the three strikes law thinking that that was going to be a deterrent. And none of that stuff just seemed to be working. I mean, just Oliver, no. the other day I was watching the news, and they were talking about a mother and a 17-year-old son got into an altercation and got into a shootout with shotguns. Now, the 17-year-old yeah. is deceased, and the mother is in critical condition. I'm like, yes. really? But, like I said, not to be a hypocrite, I can see that happening in my family, too. You know, so when we start talking about these things, you know, is it about respect? Is it no value for human life? Is it, you know, where where do we get to the point to where a mother and a son have got into a shootout and a 17-year-old is dead and the mama is in critical condition because apparently he shot her too? Yeah, but with your with your licensure and certification, you know, all of this stuff, and we have, we have to admit it, it starts in the home. It, it starts from the standpoint of when that child is born, and the people who are the parents, mm-hmm. not the people who give birth, but the people who are the parents, and there's a division in this discussion on that, are responsible for the teaching of that child good manners and mm-hmm. how to conduct themselves in an orderly manner in American society. Problem <laughs> is we have lost that big time in American society. And so children are growing up as latchkey kids, and they're not understanding what good, honest values are and how to carry out and be a respectable and responsible member of American society. So it it starts there, and it goes from that point out into the streets and society. Correct. Because I have a young adult son, and the way I grew up, 
and I know my parents did not know no better. I know they didn't. Because I was exposed to guns at a very young age. Very young age. I think the first time I pulled the trigger up too. And I'll never forget my cousin. Apparently they said my cousin was holding her ears. So she shot me. She shot me. And my mother, my grandmother wanted to whoop me. And my mother told her, no. Because you let her see where you put that gun. Now I'm a kid. I'm a baby. I don't know no better. But I always had this thing with, with guns. And then I saw it with my son. Now, with my son, I tried to tame that beast, but yet my mother kind of egged it on because, like you said, the same thing, I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by 6. And my grandmother used to tell me, if you keep yourself out the graveyard, I'll keep you out the penitentiary. So I always, Mm. there was no accountability. There was no consequences. But yet that same lady that told me that, the, the the times that I saw my grandmother hurt the most, when I looked at her face, when she had to bury her sons, and they were only 25, you know, and the things that was happening in our family, it was just, it was crazy, you know. And I remember being a kid, 10 years old, and my mother screaming, running down the street, bring me my gun, bring me, and I'm throwing guns out the front door. It's like, there's no way I should have had to be exposed to no mess like that. But I didn't go around and just shooting innocent people for no reason. But people knew, that's what you meant, she had one. So with these tragedies and the gun violence, and it's affecting individual lives all around the world. Like I said, we got people burying their kids, people burying their loved ones. We got, you know, and yes, it starts in the home. But what do you do, Dr. Oliver, when you see your son and you know your son is out there hurting people. You know your son is out there doing drive-bys. What is the parent to do? Because my son knows I will turn your butt in in a heartbeat. Because you ain't bringing that drama to my house. Yeah, I, I got three. I got three sons. My oldest is 59, and my youngest is 44. And uh, see, what should the family do? But I, we've got a bigger problem here. What should society do regarding gun violence when it is perpetrated by a major agency in our government? You're right. Police You're right. shooting. Mm-hmm. Tennessee versus Garner. Uh, uh, there's a case out of uh, Heller versus U.S., which is out of the, out of the uh, District of Columbia. Uh, McDonald versus City of uh, Chicago. Those are three instances that came from the U.S. Supreme Court that governs how weapons are used within a household and moving from that point out into society. But what has happened is that we have now relinquished that from the federal area to the state, and states Mm -hmm. are now in charge of deciding how they are going to allow for the issuance, the registration, and all of that of weapons. And, and see, Jeanette, I, I would like to, you know, uh, the, the caller who just graduated from universe, uh, UC Berkeley, political science degree, he's deciding he wants to go to law school. What are his thoughts on these particular areas from okay. a theoretical uh, point of view? Aaron? Can you Hello? hear me, Aaron? I know we got a caller on the line, too. Don't hang up, caller. I'm about to log you on in a minute. 
So, Aaron, he had a question. He wanted to know, considering that of what happened to you, being wrongfully, wrongfully accused and was, was acquitted, and now you are going, you just graduated from college, you're on your way to law school, he wanted to know what is your views on that. Because a lot of this does have to do with policies, laws, government, you know, not placing the blame. But I know growing up in Compton, we, it's been known in hell. They were bringing guns in Compton. People in Compton weren't going out buying them guns. How they getting them? <laughs> Even though I am, you know, joining a system that I have no faith in, uh, I feel like I can be somewhat of an advocate to my people, Mm -hmm. uh, but also I'm a firm believer uh, in the words of of W.E.B. Du Bois that says a system cannot fail those it was never designed to protect. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think black folks have to create and do their own. Yeah. Like bottom line, like I don't. These these laws are arbitrary, right? Slavery was legal, and just a couple of years ago, so was marijuana, right? Mm-hmm. Um, nothing is designed to provide for us or protect us. So I don't care how many policies, laws, things get passed, roll back. Um, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, they're not designed to push us forward. So we're yeah. gonna have to look outside of this current system and find ways that are going to benefit us, mm-hmm. right? You know, and it, I'm not it, saying we just mm-hmm. – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I would just say, how long does the call run to? Because I don't want to hang up because I don't know who it is. But let me log this person on, and then um, I want you to finish what you're saying. Because you're absolutely right. The laws was not designed for us. And it's part educating yourself and educate other people. That was one of the things that I did because, like I said, I wanted to be an attorney. I started off trying to go into law enforcement, got into the administration of justice, did all that. And now I take what I know, and I had a person just tell over the weekend, you know, after he finished my group, he said, Jeanette, I want to thank you because I never trust the system. And I don't understand how you growing up in Compton wanted to become a part of the system. So I had to break it down to him and have let him understand Hell, sometimes the, whatever the system don't like me either. But by that same token, I do what's right, no matter what. And I try to provide you and equip you with information to help you stay out of people's way. Then that way you don't have to worry about that because we hate when we don't understand and we get angry and we have to find a better way of protecting ourselves, educating ourselves, and preserving our human lives. Now, hi, this is Jeanette. I just logged on a caller. The number, you must have blocked your number because I can't see your number. Just say 111. But uh, what is your name and what would you like to ask in the show? Thank you for taking my call. Uh, you can call me Sarge. I'm a uh, 26-year retired Illinois State policeman. I worked most of my career in Chicago and Cook County. And uh, before I go on to make my comment, I would like to correct a comment by one of your uh, panel members or participants in which they said Tennessee versus Garner implied had something to do with private firearms ownership. Tennessee versus Garner was a Supreme Court case involving the Fourth Amendment and whether or not a police officer had the right to seize an individual by shooting them dead or otherwise using deadly force. In other words, a police officer can use deadly force to prevent the escape of a fleeing suspect only if the officer has a good faith, reasonable belief that the suspect poses a significant threat of death 
or serious physical injury to the officer or others. So it dealt with the police using deadly force. A very significant case, 1986. Now, That's um, what I said. What you said, you put it in the same league as Heller and McDonald, and they are completely different aspects of uh, firearms usage. Heller and McDonald have to do with the individual right to keep and bear arms. Not with police, not at all with police usage of firearms or deadly force. Okay. Okay, we can argue that on. Let's move on. Okay. All right, well, then the next thing. Uh, when, when it comes to firearms and crim- criminal usage, I took dozens of guns off the street from criminals. Never, well, no, one time in my entire career that I can remember did I take a gun off anyone that was legally authorized or empowered to have it. Most mm-hmm. of them were convicted felons already prohibited from owning firearms, and the minority of them that weren't convicted felons were underage juveniles who under state law couldn't own them, or at the very minimum, and this was a tiny minority, didn't have an Illinois owner's firearm owner's identification card. Mm-hmm. Criminals simply, for the most part, will not comply with any law, considering the fact that in the United States alone, however you may lament this having come to pass, there is a universe of 400 million firearms in private hands for them to choose from to commit a crime. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, the, the, look, the best police officer that I know of for a young man growing up is a, a loving, honest, involved father in the home. There is no better police officer. And we mm-hmm. all know the grim truth is that fathers are not continually a present in the home of black children today. Once upon Mm -hmm. a time, they were. When I was growing up, that was the norm. All of my friends, with two exceptions, both of whose fathers had died, all of my friends had fathers in the home raising them, and we all were mentored by them. Mm -hmm. It is no longer true, and we are seeing the results, and for whatever reason, because it's painful or uncomfortable, we refuse to acknowledge the centrality and the essential nature of fathers in the home with their children being involved, raising them, and giving them guidance. Fathers are indispensable. Correct. And I agree with you in regards to that. Fathers are. And even though, as you were speaking and you were talking about that, and we see that in the African-American home, but then we're also finding that with this gun violence, we got individuals with mental health issues getting a hold of their parents' guns, and that's not happening in African-American homes. That's more in Caucasian homes. You know, we have Asian individuals. So we're, it's now crossing over into the cultures. And, yes, in an African-American home, we are seeing that, especially when it came to gang violence, when it came to selling drugs, and because we were doing things more for survival. And then it started getting out of control. So I was waiting on Luther Keith to call in because he's a, a gang intervention officer in the Watt, L.A. area. So he had texted me. So I need for him to call on and explain some of the things that he sees. Because when I go to Compton and I always connect with individuals and I hear, well, you know, they're shooting over here and this neighborhood, not getting along with that neighborhood. And see, and my daughter works in law enforcement. And one of the things that when we talk about these things is, and I was told they have no value on human life. You fighting over territory that don't even belong to you. You don't even pay no property taxes. So oh, it's Mhm. Well, ma'am, you know, you know what an epiphany is, don't you? Because I had an epiphanous moment 
in my career as a police officer that made me a much better police officer and may be able to deal with the carnage and the craziness I was seeing on the streets every day. There was a young girl whose family had escaped from a well-known project on the south side of Chicago. It was well-known. Well, it was torn down, but it's called the Abla Homes on Roosevelt Road, and in this case, near Ashland Avenue. And it was a drive-by shooting outside where a three-year-old girl whose father and mother had been raised in the project and had escaped the project to a very nice home in the suburbs and returned there to visit their parents and her mm-hmm. grandparents. But she was killed in a drive-by shooting. Mm-hmm. Well, I had some snitches that gave me some information. And since it was a city of Chicago case, I turned, I called up, uh, you know, city tank guys to meet me and talk to this guy who I was certain had information as to who had killed this little girl. While mm-hmm. I was waiting for the city tactical officers to arrive, I struck up a conversation with this kid. He was like 16 years old, 15 or 16. And I asked him, I said, now look, I know y'all got to beat with each other when you're slinging out here on the corner. I understand that. But why can't you be more careful where you direct your gunfire so you only hit each other and not innocent children like this girl? Now, I know you weren't directly involved, but I'm trying to get a sense and understanding of this. And he looked at me. He looked at me. I'll, guys, absolutely guileless with perfect sincerity. And he said, well, look, didn't nobody want nothing. I remember his words well. Didn't nobody want nothing to happen to that little girl. But these people up in here, when they hear the shooting, they're supposed to get out the way. Oh That's what God. he said. In other words, it was a three-year-old girl's fault that she was in the way of the bullets. And he was mm-hmm. serious. Mm-hmm. Now, when you, like you said just moments ago, when people have a sense of values that you normally assume everyone shares in an ethical context that you think everyone understands and agrees with, you've got to realize that in some cases there's lots of people in this world who just don't for whatever reason. And when I started to understand that and let that lesson sink in, I was a much better police officer, and I ceased to be disturbed by as many of the things I was seeing that was so horrific. Mm-hmm. It's, and, you know, and it's, it's sad when you said that I was thinking about growing up in Compton. Now, I tell individuals, I grew up in Compton, but when it comes to Chicago, Watts, projects, I don't know nothing about that. I really don't, and I'm not bad. I don't want to be that kind of bad. I don't even want to be that Michael Jackson bad. So but I remember sitting outside, and we would hear gunshots, and keep, I mean, teenagers running up and down the street with shotguns, and they'll pass by my mother's house, see my mother in the front yard, and say, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks, and run right by and keep shooting. I'm like, really? You know, but they respected her, and they respected our home so they knew better, like, no, we're not going to. And even to this day, I tell individuals, you know, I, I guess I still got my ghetto pass, cause, but by, I'm still concerned about the innocent lives of children and people and women in our community. And it's well, that you know, thing I used happening. to hear constantly, and I had accepted as uh, conventional wisdom was the notion that these kids suffer from low self-esteem. Oh, yeah. Uh, my experience in arresting them, and I arrested, I don't know, dozens of them, I mean, you know, particularly underage kids, uh, at least superficially, they suffered from no lack of self-esteem. In fact, they exhibited a cartoonish, grotesquely mm-hmm. inflated sense of self-esteem, 
reinforced by gang culture. And by the way, gang discipline is pretty doggone harsh. I mean, really harsh. I mean, you look up the case of Yummy Sandifer, a nine-year-old hitman who got killed by his own gang in Chicago. Again, Yummy Sandifer, look it up. But anyway, most of these kids have a wildly inflated sense of self-esteem. And the problem with them is, is not self-esteem. It's the fact that they literally are narcissistic, Mm-hmm. And they think everything revolves around them and their set. Mm-hmm. Well, just recently in L.A., and I didn't attend because I didn't know him personally, but I had heard and I saw it on Facebook, the funeral of Monster Coast. And um, he was a notorious gang member in L.A., wrote children's books. They said he died homeless pretty much in an encampment in Oceanside, but they still had his funeral up in L.A. Uh, you know, so... There's so many individuals. Now, some have later turned their lives around, but it's just that thought process. And even me being a therapist and working with individuals, whether they're in law enforcement, whether they're grieving, whether they've experienced some type of PTSD or trauma, you know, and, and so I'm able to work with individuals from all walks of life. Now, I truly want to open up an office in Compton, but then I'm like, I'm not, I didn't leave Compton to go back and die in Compton. So that was not my plan. But by that same token, something needs to be done. Well, now, I assume, being from Cotton, you're familiar with the case of Tookie Williams, aren't you? Yeah, I know Tookie Williams. Yeah, I am. My father yeah. knew Tookie Williams very well. My, as a matter of fact, my family grew up in front of it. So, yeah, very familiar with the case of Tookie Williams. Yeah. Well, you know, later in life, it would seem that he had made amends for much of the game. And, you know, he regularly expressed his regret for his part in founding the uh, Crits. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he wrote children's books and he did other things. Of course, that wasn't enough to save him from the the penalty, Mm -hmm. I mean, the sentence that had been given to him for killing those Korean storekeepers. But at least, nonetheless, he did express the fact that the avenue he had set up for so many people was the wrong way to go. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I would think that, you know, at least people like that could at least, their legacy should be that these there should be an alternative to these gangs. These gangs are really like substitute fathers in many cases. They, they are, perform they a role of substitute father. The problem with it is a grotesque, cartoonishly exaggerated mm-hmm. idea of what masculinity is. Yes, it's not it real masculinity that a loving father gives to his child. But it Correct. does substitute for it, and it makes you realize how necessary fathers are. And you know what you're saying, Ed, and even with Tookie Williams, when I went to my father's funeral, and I had to go because it was my father, and I know the life he lived. His life was no different from Tookie Williams, trust and believe. And when he was murdered by the guy, the guy apparently was at his house having a party, and it was a hot mess, and he had called my show the week before, but I knew when he didn't call, something was wrong. He tried to, I ain't going to say totally change his life around, because he was a 70-something-year-old gangster rapper, but it's like you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And I felt bad for the man that killed my father, because I'm like, you know what, you go for the rest of your life for something if that person, it's like an old lady told me one time, sometimes you just let people live, let them live. Because there's an inner deep side of them that's hurt, that's dark, that's wounded. You know, I have a friend of mine, I went to a party just over the weekend, when her daughter was graduating, uh, I think she was graduating high school, on her way to college, 
she moved, left Compton, went to Moreno Valley, was giving her daughter a going-away party. A gang went into her garage and wind up shooting and killing a six-year-old child. Now, that was the first time in our neighborhood we had to deal with a child's death. They shot the father, shot and killed the child, and went to the wrong house. And when that young man was in court, that man looked like a straight monster. Like, he just had no soul. So it's like individuals are just so broken, and they're hurting other people with their brokenness. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, um, if you stop to think about it, again, there is a tiny percentage, tiny percentage out of the 400 million firearms and private hands that are used in crime. Mm -hmm. Say nothing less than homicide. It's tiny. I mean, Mm -hmm. if law-abiding citizens with guns were a problem, you would have something that would be utterly uncontrollable. They're not. Mm -hmm. Population that have the highest gun saturation have among the lowest rates of crime. So the problem is to a tiny subset of this population, the one subset that you have to identify as being most directly involved in it is 3% of the population, 3 to mm-hmm. 6% of the population, and I hate to say it, but it is black males age 17 to 34 without fathers and involved with gangs or drugs. Uh That's where the problem is. It is not a general problem. It has got to be addressed there because if and when it is addressed there, the rates of homicide in the United States would be the same as the seven leading countries in Europe, which people say are manageable. Because it's so wildly out of control. You know, and people are afraid to tell the truth about it. But what, but still, what do we do about these mass shootings, these workplace violence? Because we do need solutions. We definitely need solutions and not retaliation. And well, what do we do? Because even sometimes when we talk about just the gangs, the gangs is not a part of this other mass shootings that we got going on and all of that. But because, I mean, there's, it's one of those things where – it becomes very controversial. Let me log on this next caller, and then let's talk about that a little bit. Hi, this is Jeanette. Welcome to Purchase Predicaments. Number ending in zero zero. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. This is a Pianchi calling. Okay. Hi. What would you like to mm-hmm. add to the show as we're talking about the unnecessary gun violence and what we can do to come up with solutions in order to help this stop this? Because this needs to stop to where – Individuals are losing their lives in senseless deaths. Well, one thing, it's not the guns that's doing it. And I'm against any further restrictions of law-abiding U.S. citizens legally having access to weapons and ammunition to what they believe makes them feel safe. And and like the other caller just said, uh, you look at take Chicago, for instance. In Chicago, from Memorial Day of 2020 <laughs> up until Memorial Day, just this May the 27th, 2021, you have had 4,000 eight hundred and forty five blacks 
shot by other blacks. Mm-hmm. No white police shooting with 745 murders. Mm-hmm. Now, where is the outcry to that? Yeah. And this is happening in Chicago, which is in Illinois. You know, we have heard all these excuses in the past. Chicago mm-hmm. has a black, openly gay female mayor. Her sexual preference has nothing to do, but since that seemingly is a talking point nowadays, I just included it because people mm-hmm. say they'd be denied. You have a black prosecutor in Cook County where Chicago lies in the form of Kim Fox, mm-hmm. the second most powerful person in the state of Illinois. The, the lieutenant governor is a black female. Mm-hmm. The head the head prosecutor in the state of Illinois is a black male. The secretary of state in the state of Illinois is a black male. The mm-hmm. police superintendent in Chicago is a black male and has several. So you got a pro- there's a problem that exists there that nobody wants to address. The police is not doing this. It's not mm-hmm. the gun. You got something going on with the people themselves. People and and see I hear you know you hear all these stories like they say white flee. Well hell, blacks have fled that area too. In the numbers yeah. along Lakeshore Drive, black millionaires have fled. And you know, well, let me say this. That was an interesting point because I'm starting to wonder if some of this crime is to create it, to run people away. But you go from, like I was talking about my friend, she was coming to Moreno Valley, and yet her, the child got killed in Moreno Valley. It's like she, I could have, she could have just stayed in well, but that's I've heard. I've heard all these scenarios about white men in white and white men in black mass. Mm-hmm. Most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, is that they allow things to happen to run people out. Well, you know, I follow St. Louis very closely mm-hmm. in Ferguson, which is a well-known, recognized name of a city, Ferguson, Missouri. Ferguson at one time was majority white, mm-hmm. and blacks moved from North St. Louis, is right on the outskirts of Ferguson, from areas like Walnut Park, O'Fallon Park, and the Ville, where the famed Sumner High School exists, where Tina Turner attended. Mm-hmm. And also in the area of Vashon High School, where Maxine Water attended. Well, they fled crime in that area, and this is black crime. I'm going to have to tell it like it is. This is black crime, and they fled to Ferguson. Whites moved. Blacks moved there in the 1960s. Now, after the 2014 incident with Mike Brown, those blacks who had lived in that area established good homes. Yeah. decent school system. Okay. Now they have left and fed, fled. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, they flee to all white communities like St. Charles County that have uh-huh. 90%, 95% white population, and all the police officers are white. <laughs> wow. Well, we have, it sounds like Luther Keith is on the line right now because he just called in. Luther Keith, I want to thank you for being obedient because I can hear you in the background. So tell the listeners oh, who you are. 
Can you hear me, Luther? I can hear you loud and clear. Okay. Big Blue, tell the listeners who you are and what you do, because you play an intricate role in trying to help with some of this stuff. And I know a lot of times I connect with you and talk to you about some of the things that's going on in the community and what you see that the community need, especially in Compton, and how we can try to put a end to some of this unnecessary gun violence and the killings. And I don't know if you went to Monster Cody's funeral, but I did see it on Facebook. But tell the listeners who I, you are. I, I'm Luther King Jr., I'm a gang intervention specialist, a mentor, baseball coach, foster parent. Um, try to put, try to bring peace and unity to our community and CPT. Uh, bring the youngsters together, uh, the females and males. Feed the homeless seven days a week. It's not about me; it's about helping our community. I tell folks, you got to wake up. It's 2021, you know, and stop all this bull crap. People's on parole, probation. Kids running wild. Parents like they friends with them, let them do what they want to do. These youngsters in group homes, and we need to stop all. We need jobs. We need to get these youngsters back on track. We don't have no parks. They took the parks from us back in when Reagan was in. I mean, you know, forgive me for breaking them up. You know, took our feeder program, some of you program. Then how you program, how these kids go work? They're gonna hit these houses, breaking these homes, flock, smoke the weed, they legalize marijuana. So if you want us to stop all this crap, the shooting and stuff, get some jobs out here, bring our parks back, get these babies back on the field. You might not be a baseball player, be a young uh, deacon, be a young minister, teacher, probation officer, police officer, a judge, you know, instead of running and getting in trouble and you get a record because you're breaking into somebody's house or you towed the gun or you robbing banks. You got to stop all that crap. And you know, Luther, and I know you and I both, because you know we've been around each other for years, and we've seen individuals transition. We've, we have friends that we know that have been locked up for 20 years, 30 years, now just coming back out from the street, trying to turn their life around. And sometimes when they turn their life around, that's sometimes when they lose their lives. You know, over in your neighborhood, we used to always say in front of the front of killing front of We're like, really? They're supposed to be friends. So when we start talking about this, and, and I brought up in regards to mass shootings, you know, and I'm looking at in, in Texas, they had a teen die after a shot outside the Six Flags hurricane. Why would you bring a gun to Magic Mountain? You know, so it's yes. like sometimes you wonder, are they looking for trouble? Are they running into trouble? Are you, is, are you trying to be big and bad? But innocent people are dying, and I'm tired of it. Yeah, I'm 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 very tired of it. You got youngsters carrying guns, and you know you post a church, you post a search, and you go into a, a park like that. You supposed to have your security on point. You supposed to have some undercover walking around. You know you supposed to wind them as you go in, pull their pockets out. Mm-hmm. You know, check these slide down their legs, check the lady's purse. You know, you got to you got to be on point. Just like the Julie, we searching everybody that coming to Julie. It's gonna be hard for you to get by. So we make sure you pull your pockets out. You ain't going to bring no purse in there unless you got your little credit card. You're going to swipe your card and get something to eat. So I'm, I watch and pray wherever I go, wherever I'm doing something. I'm watching. Because mm-hmm. uh, right now it's, it's so dangerous. You got an untrained folks. It's dangerous. You got to stay focused. You got to be on point. You can't be doing security work and you hide the kite and you let this fool in. He takes out everybody. So that's why I and you see him the homeboy. You yeah, like, well, so I know so and so, and then he came and killed everybody in the park or everybody at the basketball game. 
And, you know, and it's, it's sad because it's putting its fear in our community, but then it's also individuals are turning into vigilantes, individuals are retaliating. It, it's getting, like I said, to me, it's just unnecessary. It's very unnecessary. Now, even in my well, neighborhood, there's an old... What city is Lutheran? He's in California, brother. Oh, okay. I'm so, I thought you said Chicago. I'm in California. Uh, you're in Chicago. I just left uh, uh, Arkansas. So I make my little rounds. You know, I see stuff going on. Certain People are moving from California going back south. Folks moving from the south, moving down here to California, you know. And then we got to watch our youngsters and our families. They running wild. Parents don't be knowing. You got to check the kids' closet, their shoes, their socks. You got to go into the house. They might be hiding an AK, a 357, a 9 millimeter. You got to be on point. You probably working 16 hours. They running wild. My dog, I'm, on post. I'm, I'm, I'm checking everything in my house from the backyard to the doghouse, in the garage, under the house, side of the house, washing dryer. I'm looking at the top of the closet in the attic. You get a valid point, Luther, because I'm, I'm going to share something. Recently, my daughter came home, and she was upset. She was really upset. Now, like I said, sometimes the fruit don't fall too far from the tree. So I'm very mindful and aware when it comes to my grandkids because I know their DNA. So I get it. And my daughter was pissed. She was like, Mom, I'm raising a little terrorist. I'm like, what do you mean? She said that the teacher told her that my grandson said to the kids and had the kids scared in Orange County, he made a statement okay. and said, I'm going to kill you right. and your family. So when he made that statement and my daughter knows that she's not raising him like that, like, why would you tell some kids, I'm going to kill you and your family? So me being a therapist, I'm being therapeutic with him. So I said to him, what would you do if somebody said that to you about your family? My grandson broke out and said, so-and-so already told me that. So then he threw me off. So I'm like, well, you didn't think to tell us that somebody told you, is a little Asian kid, the little Asian kid told you that he was going to kill you and your family? So he kept it to himself, but then repeated it because sometimes it becomes a learned behavior. Well, if I could say something. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Storage. You was on before I was. Go ahead. No, I'm going to ask you. You know, I'd like to hear what you have to say, but there is something I'd like to say in response to uh, the host's uh, uh, question as to what should be done. But I'd like to hear what you got to say first, and then I'll go after you if it's all right with the host. Okay, Mr. Oliver, what were you going to say? This is Mr. Pianchi. But what okay. I was going to say is this. Uh, this is not this is not kids that's doing this stuff in Chicago. These are grown-ass adults. Mm. You may have a child from time to time, but these people are grown, have mm-hmm. any access to opportunities that they can. But okay. see, here's where the problem is. You got politics that comes into this with those factions that is anti guns and anti-citizens being able to exercise their constitutional rights mm-hmm. where they are not infringed. You got that element going on. Then you got this element of bad schools. You got uh-huh. this element of broken families where you have dysfunctional. So you're talking about dysfunctional families. Mm-hmm. 
you got dysfunctional families where it's producing young people that have no respect for authority. They don't have the respect for authority at home. Then it goes to the school. No respect for authority there. Then it ends up in the street where you have no respect for people who have the authority uh-huh. to put you in check, and that's uh-huh. the police. Uh-huh. Now, look at the things that's been going on here lately. You got an effort to defund and even dissolve police departments. You have police officers who are handicapped. You got these new things, this new idea that when a police officer come upon a situation, they have to call a psychologist or a social worker. And I have seen police officers play out all those roles, and it still didn't get the results that some people say that should be there. Mm-hmm. You got a society today. Now, and let's, let's give me a little bit more time. You got a mentality today of looting and I should have it. Yep. All the looters, many of the looters that were locked up have been let free. Whereas when you have people show up in Washington, the D.C., is demanding that the Constitution of the United States be applied, they are labeled insurrectionists. That's your politics. Now, in some cities out there in California, a person can go into a store like a Walgreens, and they have a calculator. They fill up the basket, and they stay within this side of the limited amount. Some places it's $500. Some places it's $1,000. So they'll load up with $950 worth of goods in a basket and walk right out of the store. Mm-hmm. The police security guards can't do anything to them. We are living in the society today like none I have even contemplated, dreamed of ever witnessing. And I'm here to tell you this. This is very, very dangerous. Oh, True. That is just so true. But I'd like to add, I'd like to book in on what those sage comments were with this. This is what really maddened me frequently, because we're talking about, and the topic of your show being gun violence. I would arrest a perpetrator, a multiple felon with like 10, 15, 20, 30-page rap sheet, multiple violent felonies, many of them committed with a gun, no legal right whatsoever to have them. And then when it came down to the plea bargain, because most of these things are always plea bargain, because you're always arrested a three-time loser, and they don't want to get the maximum sentence, one of the first things the state's attorney would do would be to toss the gun charges. they wow. toss them. And then wow. they'd come down with the lesser plea. Instead of, like, murder or attempted murder, it would be involuntary manslaughter or attempted involuntary manslaughter. They plead guilty to that, and then they go to the joint. Now, that was when it was still a time when the police had a handle on the situation. Not like today when, as uh, Bianchi just correctly pointed out, you have an utterly corrupt and totally incompetent prosecutor by the name of Kim Fox who's the state's attorney in Cook County, and she typifies so many of these George Soros-installed state's attorneys and district attorneys across the country who literally are criminal enablers, literally. And when they literally ran on these notions, 
Look, we got a problem that has to be addressed twofold. Number one, you've got a short-term problem, you've got a long-term problem. The long-term problem is going to take a generation or two to restore. That is restoring the family and getting fathers, the best police officers in the world, back in the house dealing with their children. There are no better police officers than good fathers. Number two, and this is short-term, and this is what drives a lot of these BLM advocates and others insane, and they are lunatics. I just hate to say it. They are. You're going to have to let the police go back to doing what they do constitutionally, Terry versus Ohio is stop and frisk. Stop and frisk is constitutional if it's done constitutionally. I'm not talking about rogue cops who uses the pretext to hassle somebody. I'm talking about when you have an honest apprehension, a reasonable suspicion, that is the word, reasonable suspicion that a crime has been committed or is about to be committed, and the person you are looking at is the person most likely to have done it. And in an area that is known for being dangerous, the officer conducts a pat-down frisk for his safety. That is a legal and constitutional Terry stop. The cops know out there, the cops know who's doing most of this stuff out there. It's almost always recidivists, multiple offenders who keep doing it over and over again, and they've identified most of them. And if they haven't identified them, they've got reliable snitches who have and who have told them. Let the police do their job, their legal, their constitutional function, and I can guarantee you this will be significantly ameliorated in the short term. Long term is going to take a lot more. Yeah. Um, Oliver, were you about to say something? And, and I wanted to say this, and I want to ask Oliver to speak, and then I'll let Luther speak, because I know we've about to run out of time. I know before COVID hit, and I know you're talking about putting the fathers back in the home, but we have to also give the fathers resources. We have to also give the fathers support because just because they are men, a lot of men struggle with self-esteem issues. They have a, you know, sometimes they're trying to redeem themselves, even if they weren't in a home and trying to come back in a home. Sometimes we have, we got blended families going on. It's a whole lot of stuff. Because I, when I was trying to do, and I was interested in doing a man-to-man workshop and putting together a, a panel of some men to help them be able to coach some of these men to help them be able to father their children. A lot of them don't know what to do. They really don't. And sometimes their presence there, you find that some young boys don't even have respect for their fathers. So we got we to gotta provide some resources. Now, Dr. Oliver, what do you want to say before, because I know we're running out of time. Um, good discussion. Uh, I would disagree with quite a bit of what's been said. As you talk about these cases, Terry versus Ohio, I will go back to Tennessee versus Garner, Heller, city of Chicago, and all of that. Uh, We just don't have enough time to talk about it. The thing of it is is that when you look at the examination of Terry versus Ohio, you'll find that even though it was allowed to go through, the person did have, McFadden did have suspicion, and the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that that suspicion was reasonable. However, when Terry versus Ohio is carried out in many uh, cities, uh, you'll find that the officers in 80-some percent of the time do not find a dangerous weapon, and that's what Terry is about, a dangerous weapon on their person, and because they don't have that, the person is not arrested nor charged with a crime. So, again, there's a lot more that could be discussed in these areas, but it's been a good discussion, good listening to what's been, good, what's been carried on. And my background is Riverside County Sheriff for 30 years and also the Chief of Police 
in the city of Inglewood, California, in the time of Rodney King, Natasha Harlins, and the riots that came out of that. Thank you. Luther, what do you need in L.A. area? What, what can we do to support and help you because you're a foot soldier, and I know a lot of them do have mad respect for you, but you out there by yourself, and sometimes you got to be careful, too. Right, right. What you see, job for the justice and uh, the fathers and the, the brothers step up and be fathers to these young men out here and the females because the girls are doing a lot of damage too. So, you know, uh-huh. sometimes it would be them females carrying them pistols and driving same time. They send these brothers up. So my thing is the brothers got to step up, men, our community, uh, stand up and patrol our community. Just like me and Lewis, the ex-sheriff, across from me, we step up and patrol our community on our block when they give a party. And we see something good, we go out there and post them. You know, we we, we stand it up. I'm not going to let nobody ride on my wall. I know they be holding it. No, no. Get up from over here. I'm watching. I tell them uh-huh. they move in. I, I introduce myself. I'm Luther Keith Jr. Intervention. I, you know, ain't no color line here. I'm watching from Wilmington to Grandy to Compton Avenue. You know, uh-huh. That's how I do it. And, you know, and one of the things, too, is we missing a lot of community watch. We missing a lot of the elders, the elders, you know, because, like I said, when my mother was out there, you know, my mother was no joke. So <laughs> they had mad respect for her. Now I'm getting older. I'm like, look, I can't do the things I used to do. But I'm trying to make sure my grandkids are okay because I don't want to see them gunned down in the streets. And even with my son, you know, because I do have a young adult son, and just educating them and letting them know that there are other ways. And, you know, and people are frustrated. they pissed off. And, you know, they're burying individuals. You've got people that they die, and they don't even have insurance to even bury their loved ones. It's like, get some insurance. Do something. Because it's out of control. We shouldn't have to be having go fund me because JoJo done got shot walking to the grocery store. Really? Right, so right. it's just it's too much. It's way too much. And, you know, and we don't want to lose hope. And some of this stuff has been going on for years and years and years. I mean, we're talking about this in 2021. Like I said, I remember back in 1975 was when my uncle was gunned down or murdered in 1975. So I'm just like, it got to stop. It, it really got to stop. But if we see it's getting worse. You know, like I said, for it to be declared 2021 the America's deadliest year in two decades? Like, wow. Okay. Well, thank you. I want to thank you for joining me. I want to thank you for your input. I appreciate you guys. Any other topics you want me to talk about, let me know. I'm open. We can do this. So until next week, remember you got this. And if you know you got an intention if somebody told you to go out and take the care of this or hired you for a hitman, remember, there are consequences. And unless you want to do those football numbers, you got to remember, there are consequences. And you got to live with that. Because when you take a life, you give a life. Why are you my son? You're not saying you go to prison. I might die while you're in prison. Your kids might die while you're in prison. That is a waste of time. So we have to make better choices and learn how to tell people no. If they're trying to get you to do something that you know you won't have no business doing. Now, I do believe that people can't turn their life around. They can change their life around. I believe that. But we got to stop some of this unnecessary, senseless gunfire, gun violence. So until next week, remember you got this. And, again, thank you for joining me here at Precious Predicaments, Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Amen.